Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamflet and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, pay-per-views, we have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a big quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review AEW Dynamite. Another show that was all over the bloody place, Sid. Yeah, I didn't really like this episode at all, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, I understand the wrinkle that Rampage adds, and this comparison probably doesn't ring true, because if you add up everything that happens on TV this week, and you stack it against everything that happened the last time AEW was in Dynamite, not including QT Marshall's gym. I just couldn't help but do a contrast here because they talked a lot about the previous Atlanta episode, which is an all-timer mm-hmm. in Dynamite lore. They were talking about how can Cody outdo the cage jump, and that was a big thread that teased what happened at the end of the show. But if you look at that show, Jesus, tap dancing Christ. John Moxley versus Jeff Cobb. Oh, yeah. had that battle, tag team battle royale, which is just great. All-star tag team field. One of the best bumps of all time looking at Sammy Guevara. You had Kenny Omega <laughs> and Hangman Page versus the Lucha Bros. And then you had Cody versus Wardlow in a steel cage match. In comparison, this Dynamite card, and I understand that if you didn't have Rampage and you added the Rampage elements to it, it would look a little bit better. I just cannot get past the feeling that Tony Khan is being a bit stingy with the TV match lineups these days compared to what it was and what I still believe is the apex of AEW February 2020. Stingy, it's, it's an English word, that's so all, trying to do an American. Tight ass. Yeah, you're being a tight ass. You're being a tight wad. Um, <laughs> Tony tight wad. <laughs> and I just was left, I thought this card was left lacking before the execution wasn't great. We'll get to it, so I don't want to talk too much, but like, you can never guess which big American city is going to not receive technical indie guys as cult favourites. They did, they showed nothing for Lee Moriarty mm. at all, and it's, that was one of three 
incredibly predictable matches with one star on the other side of the ring, and it's just like it's a bit like superstars. <laughs> yeah, it was a weird one. Like Sid said there, in terms of I, I agree that I think. Tony's holding a lot back right now. And yet, simultaneously, it feels like this card also suffered from the weight of expectation. Is that fair? It is. That exact terminology, very specifically, I want to cover on one match in particular on this show. I'm always hesitant to call AW unfocused, because if there's one thing they've proven themselves to be, is the excellent storyline and payoff company. They'll give you these tales, they'll sometimes go in directions maybe you might not like or you might not enjoy, but the payoff is typically satisfying. Most things prove themselves out in the end, even if you don't love it. And they've earned that. You have to work for that and you earn that trust in it and it's paid off time after time after time after time. And yet, lately, especially with undercard concerns, I would say going as far back as All Out, more has felt unfocused than really locked in and focused. And Cedric mentioned about the pairings, and we've talked about this in the office this morning. We genuinely care about this. It doesn't matter if there's microphones on or not. Mm. One of the things we're always keen to praise AEW about, not just in contrast to WWE, but in general, is how they arrive at so many permutations of matches that you almost can't keep track of them all. You are able not just to fantasy book matches, but to reality book matches on how Wrestler A will come together with Wrestler B because of the sprawling way in which this um, like company is booked and how, while some people call a roster bloated, in reality it just gives Tony Khan as a booker choices and it just gives him opportunities and it gives you at least once a week a, graphin, a graphic of something you didn't realise you wanted that you then can't wait to see. That is a weekly occurrence. That's awesome. And again, it's why like I think unfocused maybe sounds cruel, yet the execution of a lot of the stuff to get to their destination is feeling increasingly sloppy, mm. slapdash, and underwhelming. And these are not things that you associate with, like, a product that was... Like, it's not as hot as it was a couple of months ago. And I, like, bleated on podcasts for people, if you are a wrestling fan and you're not watching this, what are you watching wrestling for? Because this is it. This is as good as it gets, and it can't last forever. And I'm not doomsday suggesting that like the good times are over, because I don't believe they are. But what we are seeing here is the comparison quite soon from when the product was white hot versus where we're at now, which feels like a little bit of a drop-off. I'm now looking for AEW to sort of steer back to form rather than maintain a level they were at maybe back in August, September time. Even AEW, just like WWE has, and not it's not this, the pay-per-view specifically, but the sort of post-Survivor Series slump where they're like, oh, we'll start trying again in January. Well, they've got... Page versus Danielson in two weeks. Yeah. That's or the a, end of December. The only other thing yeah. I wanted to say is, I say all this thinking winter is coming is going to rule. That's that's the trust that they've earned in, I would say, me and most of the people to assume that winter is coming is going to be a banger of an episode. I, I cannot work out how we're in this current rut. Yeah, nor me. One more thing before, on a, one more general point before we dive in. It just, I've not lost faith in the process or anything daft like that. I understand the cycles with which AEW book in that we are virtually the furthest away we'll get from another pay-per-view. There are some TV specials in the interim that will hopefully answer every complaint I've just said. But it's just... When a comparison is there to be made, I like to make it. February 2022, AEW is the absolute zenith of this promotion where they give you these super-stacked TV roster shows and then the pay-per-view was incredible. The roster's bigger now. Why can't I have that feeling again? Mm. 
Uh, before we get into this, I'm, I'm going to do this now in case I forget it later on. Massive shout out to Coogs on Twitter. Thank you, Coogs. Uh, he got mentioned in the news this morning as part of the and finally, but I wanted to mention him here on the AW podcast because he sent us a great photo from Atlanta right next to the ramp with a sign that reads Michael Sidgwick. Touch grass. <laughs> Amazing. Like, it's always nice to see the signs, yeah. and the, the happy birthday sign was ridiculous, obviously, for, for for usage on the Brian Danielson show. I'm not too proud to beg. They're the best things that come yeah. on this podcast. I, the, want sign, I want signs on Dynamite every single week. The fact I that take every, them in WWE. Every week we tune in, there's a, and there's a Simon Miller give this an up uh, sign. Is is always... I don't something. think we're getting any signs of WWE shows like. <laughs> <laughs> but Just yeah, nobody makes them anymore. Touch grass is, is, is simply great. And also, whilst I'm on the subject, thank you to everyone... Uh, who's tagged us in their Spotify wrapped for 2021 because it's insane to see not just how many people uh, listen to the podcast, but the amount of time they're bloody dedicating to it. It's, it's, it's incredible. So thank you once again for that. Right, let's dive in to AEW Dynamite. Uh, the show opened with Excalibur and Tony Schiavone on commentary. Of course, no JR. Nice little message uh, wishing him well in his recovery. We, of course, echo those sentiments here at What Culture. And so Hangman Page joins commentary for the opening match of the night. It is Allen Five Angels versus Brian Danielson continuing the <laughs> Brian Danielson trying to kill everyone in the Dark Order before he faces Hangman Page in, what, two weeks? Yeah, winter is coming. So, uh, early on, back and forth between Angels and Danielson. Danielson, you can sense, is maybe sort of toying with him a little bit. But then, because he's taking him a little bit too lightly and, and rather enjoying just sort of shushing or cupping his ear, taunting the Atlanta crowd... Yeah, Angels fights back. This is a guy who took Kenny Omega to his limit, as was alluded to on the road to. Kicks, chops, five punches in the corner. Nice touch. That, uh, Danielson cuts him off with strikes, though. But again, he's 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 too focused on beating the crap out of him than beating him and, and showing up. He wants to show him up in front of Hangman Page. And so, Alan Angels catches him with a backslide. So Danielson gets pissed off and suplexes him into a cross-arm breaker, forcing Alan Angels to the ropes. Um, but then Danielson gets sent out to the floor and Angels hits a dive and a bloody moonsault. And then Brian Danielson fights back but gets caught with a Spanish fly for a near fall from Alan Angels. Uh, Alan Angels goes up, to- up top, misses the moonsault, unfortunately, though. And uh, Danielson goes, right, enough of all this. Busaiku? Busaiku knee. Yes! Finally got it right. <laughs> Busaiku knee uh, stomps on his head. I mean, he's, again, just like we've seen in previous weeks, the knee's enough. But no, he stomps on the head, flexes yet again, and uh, knee bars Alan Angels for the submission victory, holds on to it post-match. Uh, Hangman Page is, is obviously furious about this on commentary. Post-match, again, Danielson's flexing in the ring, gets interviewed by Tony Schiavone, um, and asks, gets asked if he's ready for the title match. And he said... Well, is that the best that Atlanta's got? He said, look, I kicked his head in. I've probably snapped his MCL. MCL. You're all too stupid to know what on earth that is. But anyway, uh, last week I took out Colt Cabana's tooth, of course. Uh, next week I'm going to stamp another Dark, Dark Order member's head in when we're in Long Island. And then in two weeks I'm going to take the title when we're at the home of the Cowboys, Dallas. Um, and Pedro's on commentary. Is that enough? Uh, takes his headset off, goes to sprint down and get involved with Danielson. At this point, we're informed that management has said that if these two uh, lay a finger on each other, there's going to be suspensions and probably even fines getting chucked about. John Silver, though, runs down and cuts him off and said, look, you can't touch him, but I can. Uh, And he's obviously going to be fighting him next week. Uh, And Danielson runs down. uh, Oh, sorry, he 
Silva runs down, but Danielson bails out and says this is all kind of beneath him and uh, offers to slap Paige right now, but the fans don't deserve it. This was good, and I liked it. I liked the match. I loved the backslide near fall. Mm. Very good expression of the key story beat where Danielson was taking him too lightly. He was being an arrogant heel prick. Alan Angels got over to a degree by proving, no, I'm a bit smarter than that. Don't mug me off. And then Danielson was like, right, okay, yeah, I've learned that lesson. I'm just going to kick your head in. <laughs> I like also thinking more deeply about it that this is how Danielson's probably going to lose to Paige and it gives him an out because you don't want to be full heel Danielson after this. So you can say, in the event of his loss, something to the effect of, I was an arsehole and I was too overzealous in my pursuit of the title. I need to rein it in and stop being so much of a dickhead. This match, however, despite being as good as any six-minute Brian Danielson match is ever going to be, which is at minimum very good, mm-hmm. did not in any meaningful way advance the story. Yes, it was nice to give Alan Angels um, a bit of profile, a bit of shine in his home state. Um, I would prefer wrestling companies were nice than anything else. <laughs> but did we learn anything about the feud? Did our investment in the feud deepen any more than it did following last week? My answer to that question is not at all. It existed for the purpose that we've seen last week. I was unmoved by a lot of this. Basically seen it all before territory. Yeah, I've got to agree. Liked, not loved, would be my take pretty much across the board here. Um, we were discussing this in the office this morning. I think genuinely this is an accident, right? But I think AW have accidentally booked the challenger way better than the champion at the worst possible time to do it. Brian Danielson, yes, he's twirling his moustache more than you do in November. But he's twirling all this as a cartoon villain for the best. December? Yeah, I've got... Uh, people can still sponsor me if they'd like to. The link is on my Twitter. It's a fantastic cause supporting men's health. Uh, but clearly he's made a bet with me saying that for every day I keep it in December, he's going to give me a fiver. So, yeah, I'm going to bankrupt that's him. That's pretty amazing. Well, yeah, I, that's, I say I'm going to bankrupt him. I'm going to bankrupt him right up until the missus probably shaves it off whilst I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. That's okay. I'm twirling mustache. I was glad we got the plug in. Sponsor Adam Wilborn. Thank you. Take my money off Adam Cleary. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was like this cartoon villainy stuff will probably come to an end when he loses, and that's okay. It's almost like the sillier he gets with it, the more you can walk back from it rather than doing anything legitimately so awful that you can't walk this back. Um, but what he is doing is saying he's going to do a thing and then doing the thing. Who does that? Baby faces, heroes. Hangman Page, on the other hand, hasn't. Locked up since he won the belt. It's not ideal, is it? Like, like the big picture-wise, it's not like neither man is currently best placed to be in the role they're in, which is dickhead coward Brian Danielson, who just happens to do the hard yards first and then the cowardly bit, running away from John Silver, finding clever and cute ways to not fight Hangman Page. That's all well and good, but he is sort of doing the hard bit first. He is having the match. Like, if I'm sat here justifying the actions of the heel, they've not quite got this one right. The match. Will bang, but Andy Murray put this in a way that I hadn't even thought to, and I spent years doing it, so I don't know how I didn't come up with this. We did this with NXT for years. It didn't matter that the stories weren't good enough because the takeover's always delivered. So is it okay to apply that line of thinking to Brian mm. Danielson versus Hangman Page? And just on a, on a sort of a side note to this, it's really easy. AW have shown it to be really easy to cycle through their tapes and their Rolodex and find something that Hangman Page has got hanging around with our wrestler. 
There'll be some afters somewhere. They found Riho not getting eliminated from Battle Royal. They can find some afters for Hangman Page to have a television match as a defending champion. Title not on the line, but like, uh, what would they call it? Like, sharpen his skills. Mm. You know, just like a sort of workout match room, effectively, where he goes over and he does really well. They probably should have already done that, but it doesn't look like they'll do it next week. So we might go the full, full gear to winter is coming run without him wrestling once. And in that time, Brian Donison has wrestled five times. The most bittersweet thing about all of this is, in my head, this was John Moxley's arc. Yeah. With the idea being that he resents the fact that all these Dark Order geeks get hometown moments he in front up of a crowd. Under his mask, was it uh, 10? 10. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> but, like, the idea, I think, that they were heading towards, which they've kind of done with Brian here, Danielson, is that John Moxley resenting the idea that these Dark Order geeks get hometown pops and nice little platforms and moments when he wrestled in front of Austin Gunn as the champion for, like, nearly a year. Yeah. I would love that. But get well soon. Absolutely. Uh, we got another brilliant Miro vignette after this. He's in this all-white room. He said he's in, he wasn't sure what to do until a vision came to him from his god, who revealed what an asshole he really is. Uh, and he says he's got two weaknesses. One he's going to repair. The other one he will embrace. This is the word of the Redeemer. Perfect. Yeah, he's awesome. Really good. Then we got... Lee Moriarty versus CM Punk uh, before the match can start, as we called on the preview yesterday. Uh, MJF joins commentary for the match. Uh, chain wrestling to start back and forth again. Uh, Punk takes Moriarty down with a drop kick and a diving clothesline. MJF on commentary is negging CM Punk at every opportunity, as we're, again how we called it in terms of, oh, he's struggling a little bit here, isn't he, against this rookie? Um, we go to a break, we come back, Moriarty makes a comeback. Um, he gets a running uppercut and a belly-to-belly suplex for a near fall to conclude that. Then Punk hits his springboard crossbody, but Moriarty rolls through and gets a near fall off the back of that. And then, suddenly, Moriarty catches him in an over-the-shoulder crossface, which Punk has to fight out of whilst MJF complains and, well, just throws all the shade he can on uh, PG Punk. Um, they go up top, Punk hits a mad runner, but then they start cradling each other back and forth. Punk hits a high kick, drops Moriarty, but Moriarty hits him with that Pepsi twist for a a nice two count as well. Then suddenly, Punk powers him up, gets him up on his shoulders. GTS, one, two, three. Let's do this in two parts because there was another nice back and forth between MJF and CM Punk, which we'll talk about afterwards. But Hamflet, um, another uh, match that maybe suffered from expectations, as you alluded to. Yeah, and and this wasn't the one I was alluding to, so that's not ideal, is it? (laughs) There's more to come. Um, I assume, well, a lot of people tell us that they listen to the WWE podcast because, like, we watch the wrestling so they don't have to. I don't assume that of the AW one, so I assume that everybody listening to this has probably watched it. If they haven't, they will think more of this match from your dynamic recap of it than what we actually Man. saw last night. Um, I hate not liking CM Punk matches because liking CM Punk matches will be one of my prevailing memories of 2021 in wrestling. The joy I have felt watching him go back to work and be where he belongs. Like, seemingly knew no bounds and then it did and it's been in the last two weeks and I don't like saying that last week felt like you imagined the outlier it would be because he went 11 minutes with Cutie Marsh and it's like what are we doing here Mm. and I found myself asking that again this week against Lee Moriarty expectations were allowed to be high for this and I don't think this worked at all um it looked really like dangerously cooperative and CM Punk 
who the hell am I to criticise what CM Punk can do in there? But this felt like two guys working together, which you have to read between the lines of CM Punk wanting to be seen to be at least keeping up with Lee Moriarty, or let's be generous, giving him plenty, making this far more than just a protracted squash, an easy win against the rookie, as MJF was referring him to. I want to put over Excalibur, by the way, here, because... The difference, there's a million, the difference between how AEW would have handled this and how WWE would handle it. You put a heel at the booth, and the heel is negging, 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 CM Punk would still be wrestling Darby Allen. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yes. Excalibur made a big point to be like, you call him a rookie, he's been going longer than you, and he's probably wrestled more than you this year, and he's better than you. Like, he's not allowing Lee Moriarty to be buried by this heel that, like, he's got no comeback for because he knows he's going to lose. So it's like, you can't have Lee Moriarty lose the match and maybe not get great shine, and have MJF bury him. Mm. So th- I, I love that like this company understands those fundamentals. But the match didn't hit. Like They were on the same page, but it just wasn't a very interesting page. I thought Punk looked more... I thought he looked more blown up here than he has done in some of his earlier matches when he was seemingly finding his in-ring cardio. Uh, again, maybe that was part of the performance because it helped MJF's commentary. Maybe none of it clicked. And I... I'm devastated that it didn't. I had such high hopes for this. Um, Moriarty is awesome, and Punk knows what he's doing, and this didn't work for me. Yeah, it didn't work for me either. I don't know the extent to which, like, a really dead crowd informed just the... Well, obviously, it informed an apathetic atmosphere because they created it or didn't create it. Uh, didn't create it, as the case may be. They got into it by the end. The last three minutes, I thought, were really exciting. The finish was superb. The, the finish was superb. Cool. The build-up to the goat sleep was great. We have different opinions, because we're nerds who've talked about this already. I actually like the Pepsi twist spot, particularly since it's not just something he was ribbing, um, cribbing from Punk. It's something that Moriarty does in general. So I thought that was really cool. And the finish was excellent, but like two minutes of excellence for eight minutes of flatly received fine at best technical wrestling that at times when they did that cradle pin exchange following the hurricane rana like punk was getting in position far too early and it's just like oh come on lads i can see the wires of what you're doing here um and it's weird if you're tony carney you're booking this you're probably thinking i've got a very invested in the know audience who are always very appreciative and respectful because of the trust we've generated in this mutual relationship between Mm -hmm. booker and consumer so he's probably i can't blame tony khan for thinking i think moriarty's got enough of a buzz that he'll get a warm reaction but they were just dead they were dead and maybe they were dead because they're thinking that's not as good as february 2020 this the last time we bought a ticket (laughs) for this show yeah maybe i'm not just saying my point has to be correct here but for whatever reason they just didn't really respond to moriarty that affected the outcome of a match that fell below my expectations um I understand the story here. The comprehension of a story doesn't necessarily make that story good. I've mm-hmm. made this point countless times with, e God, isn't Roman Reigns telling a story with the Usos on SmackDown? Just because they've found a story for once, WWE, <laughs> doesn't mean it's actually any good. It was your biggest criticism of an NXT that I still considered half decent. Yeah. Just because I can see that it is a story. Doesn't mean it's I'm a not good not moved one. by it. And yeah. So the idea is CM Punk is taking way too long to put away... The men he used to hilariously refer to as Ham and Eggers. So QT Marshall, Lee Moriarty, 10 minutes apiece. And it's a story beat. MGF isn't saying this on commentary because he's just saying it. It's a story beat. Is CM Punk still the same CM Punk? We saw following the full gear match with Eddie Kingston on the road to CM Punk, as we've said all along, he communicated that story beat by saying, 
Little by little, day by day, I'm starting to remember just who the fuck I am. That's the story here. I get it. I would much rather CM Punk worked excellent matches that were closely contested as part of that story, and he narrowly wins after like a really 50-50 competitive, mm. energetic back and forth. Garcia and Seidel were the templates for that, I think. Yeah. And these last two matches just haven't been good enough at all to warrant that story beat. And because they haven't been good enough at all, you don't look at, oh, isn't he giving a lot of offense to QT Marshall? You're thinking, oh, he's a bit gassed. Mm. Or this is a gentleman's three, if that. Or, oh, he's not really keeping up with if Mario. Someone tuned, in, someone tuned in and heard that CM Punk was back wrestling and tuned in for one of these two matches, aside from the ending of the Moriarty match, they'd probably go, oh, well, yes. Guess that's that then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these matches have to be better to make the story yeah. beat work. I appreciate the story beat, but I would prefer the story beat to be better. I want to put over, before we get to the post-match, MJF popped me daft on commentary, his opening gambit, the matter-of-fact deadpan of saying something absurdly not true at all, like patently untrue, it was funny. Yeah, he's been on a bender. <laughs> and he just like did a dead stare down the lens and it's just like just dropped it as if it was true like the opposite is true we know this he's just a great prick and he looked fantastic in that special suit it's that he wore um, but yes post-match MJF gets on the mic to save things uh, and he says uh, Punk good to see you uh, talks about the disappointment of last week but he's uh, he's proud of Punk so he's, that takes balls to come out and claim you're the best when you're struggling to be the likes of QT Marshall and Lee Moriarty he says, look, you're only the best at trying to get in Britt Baker's pants. Um, and he says, oh, what's wrong? You look unamused, which ironically is what Britt Baker would look like if you had her in the bedroom. Uh, he says, look, you're you're not CM Punk now. You're one punk chump, basically. It was not one pump what, chump. One pump chump, sorry, As not punk. prematurely ejaculates yeah, yeah. having entered a vagina for full intercourse with, after with, one second. With it's his cack. 2.0, that one. Like, <laughs> stinking a bit of six. <laughs> Uh, so Punk responds by saying uh, MJF has got a lot of nerve talking about pants when he's clearly wearing Larry, Larry David's pyjamas. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> anyway. He's uh, a really well put together bloke, Larry David, isn't he? Yeah. Mm. Um, he says, look, you can, uh, you can talk all you want about my struggles, but the fact is QT and Lee Moriarty are both better than, than you and you know it. Tells MJF. <laughs> tells MJF. <laughs> One of them is, maybe, but... Tells MJF to uh, bring his little needle dick in the ring right now, and he's going to kick his ass all the way back to Long Island. There's a big needle dick chant as a result of that, and MJF tells the crowd, too bad. Uh, PG Punk needs MJF more than uh, MJF needs PG Punk. Uh, he's a spark to a flame that Punk hasn't had since 2011, but don't worry, because he's going to show Punk what a real pro looks like next week when he wins that beautiful Diamond ring for a third time in the Dynamite Diamond Battle Royale in Long Island, uh, where he's going to finally be amongst fans who love him and really appreciate him. Uh, he's going to be better than Piper in Portland, Brett in Canada, and yes, CM Punk in Chicago. He says, laugh all you want, dipsh, because he's going to be amongst a sea of people chanting his name at the top of their lungs. And he says... Uh, I hope he gets booed. He's tr if they're clever enough, they'll realise yeah. got is, isn't it? That's what this is. Like, the. They're not teeing up him to get cheered. This was... Only MJF would think that what he's saying is true. Yes. Yeah. I hope they get the message. Uh, but the best line came at the end. He says uh, he knows that Punk has brought Larry, his dog, uh, 
Uh, but he said, if I were you, I wouldn't have brought that fully infested dog around anymore. Call him a maggot? Mag- <laughs> it's a fully infested maggot, yes, uh, around anymore. Because if Punk doesn't, he will put Larry to sleep. He threatened to kill his dog, basically. Baby uh, Punk, <laughs> Punk stormed up the ramp, uh, but Wardlow appeared to make sure nothing happened. And MJF did the perfect leaning over the shoulder, gesticulating, throwing insults whilst he know that Punk can't do anything. Referees are there to separate everyone. I like this, Sige. I liked it too. Hamflet didn't like an aspect of it, but we had an interesting disagreement. But I have to disagree with what you said first, so you say it first. Uh, we're talking about the Britt Baker stuff. Yes. Yeah. Uh, right. I'm wary of this because we've talked before about the, um, the realistically, the corporation and the saying yes to things. Mm-hmm. Hey, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Say what you want. It's all well and good. The, there is a sort of a bit of an implication, and she's not just any woman, which is not ideal that MJF chooses. She's their woman's champion, hugely credible at that. And then they drop in a pre-tape where she doesn't remotely acknowledge what's been said about her. So you're kind of stripping her of her agency as well. On a guy who, how do I say this diplomatically about CM Punk? He's an insidious mad shagger who's who's got previous. That's the thing. Therefore, it's something that would, quote-unquote, get in his head. This is We talked about this on the podcast yesterday. Because MGF is concocting a scenario where CM Punk goes home and AJ's like, well, but then that makes her look like the nagging It's theoretically harpy. The, it's theoretically the cooperative storyline version of the Sunny Days remark between Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. The idea that you create this tension back at home because of something that you may know or something that's a bit of a whisper or something like that. Insidious is a spot on word for like like all of this, really. Um, but I think it invites um, a lot of reasoned negativity from an audience that's probably seen enough marginalization of women as it is on AEW, that I think you invite something here that's potentially a little bit dodgy. And again, like it is, it's, I said it at the start of this podcast, sloppy and a little bit slapdash that you've got this clearly taped earlier today, Britt Baker thing without kind of immediately giving her an opportunity just to, just to push it back. Like she should, in my opinion, have the, like as a character, be able to say, don't like take my name out of your mouth for the want of a better phrase, and it'd be there rather than having to wait for, like, Rampage. Because she's not involved in the storyline. She's just been invoked in it. So she will. There will come a point where Britt Baker will be like, oh, and MJF, don't think, don't you think I didn't hear that? And she'll absolutely cut him to ribbons because she's great. But I feel like it probably should have come here mm. to just deal with that at the pass. I was okay with it personally. That never registered with me as a complaint. I think because MJF says the worst things in character, and ultimately, he's playing a fictional character. And the very first thing that CM Punk said in AEW was to put over Britt Baker. So it works for me on that level. But I understand the complaint now that it's been made. He, I like the idea that MJF is insecure about Britt Baker because she's replaced him as a pillar as well. Yes. like there, This is it. I'm not like denouncing the storyline value of it. I just think that's a tightrope they want to be careful to walk. MJF's the one guy, I guess, you can do it with repeatedly. Punk's got previous? Yeah. Loved him threatening to kill Larry, though. That was great. That's where you go. Killing the dog is exactly where you go. Do they shoot an angle with the dog? I thought you were going to say, do they shoot the dog? <laughs> do they shoot the dog? Really get his over? Do they shoot the dog or in tribute to... Uh, do they bang with the hammer? <laughs> <laughs> go soon, buddy. What do they do with the... Hey, hey dick face. <laughs> what are you doing with my dog? <laughs> hey, Triple H is canon in this so they could do the Blade Trinity thing. 
Yeah. Punk's, like, Punk's got that Larry hoodie he wears. Imagine him just stealing it and just stomping on the picture of Larry on the hoodie. <laughs> Dropping an elbow on it like Flairwood on his jacket. <laughs> yeah, more of this. This is going to be on the uh, Dynamite preview next week. <laughs> what next for Larry? Um, but as you mentioned... The forbidden door opens, Tony D'Angelo whacks it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say forbidden door opens and then the dog, dog comes through the little dog door. <laughs> the forbidden dog door. Anyway, this was all followed, as you alluded to, uh, by uh, Britt Baker backstage, flanked by uh, Reba Rebel uh, and Jamie Hayter. Um, she uh, gets gets annoyed, brings up Jamie Hayter's loss, of course, um, and Jamie says, "Well, hang on, you lost to Thunder Rosa as well, so don't be you know throwing stones here." Um, Britt says, uh, anyway, let's not talk about the past. Uh, it doesn't matter. This is just free therapy we're giving out here, basically. Uh, but uh, she's also furious, of course, about Riho getting that title shot after beating her. Um, but better news, Jamie Hayter's facing Riho next week, and whatever's left of Riho can have a title shot after that. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to talk too much about the prospect of that match. It's preview content fodder, which you'll, of course, be able to listen to next Wednesday. Um, but I'm bang up for that match. And they're just doing a really good job with this Jamie Hater thing, aren't they? It's a, this is why AEW is great at the showing you something. It's eventually going to happen. I still can't decide. I'm watching this. My mind changes all the time. Does Jamie Hater turn babyface by turning on Britt Baker, or does Jamie Hater turn Britt Baker babyface by turning mm. on her? Like the, you really could go either way with this because Britt Baker's so over, and you could kind of pretty much make your decision either way. And I can't see yet which. Like all these years. There's been the Sean Diesel comparison, and the same thing applies there, is that back then, it really wasn't clear who the babyface was going to be until it showed itself to be Diesel. Baker should be the babyface after dropping the title of Thunder Rosa to give Baker a real grudge feud outside of the title picture, which AEW's booking has been in, like, very low supply of. That's Mm. how I would do it. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help? 
a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Uh, right, next. Uh, Adam Cole comes out to do commentary for, I don't know, um, <laughs> but before they can do anything, well, he's, he has a bit of a back and forth with uh, with Tony Schiavone. Of course he does. That was rather entertaining. But uh, yeah, then Orange Cassidy comes out uh, and there's the face-off, hands-in-the-pocket spot with Cole. Uh, the Young Bucks come out and go to sneak attack Orange Cassidy, but he's got eyes in the back of his head and he turns around uh, and he does those horrifically stiff kicks of his to the Young Bucks. Um, but they're not having any of this. They're really not happy. The uh, super click. They, uh, Adam Cole low blows Orange Cassidy. Um, uh, young Bucks super kick him, double super kick. Uh, but before they can hit the BTE trigger, Chuck Taylor and Wheeler, you run out to make the save. You weren't a fan of this, Hamlet. No, he's got eyes in the back of his head, but has he not got them in the front? Because he would have seen this coming otherwise. This was really rubbish television. The worst use of Adam Cole so far, and I'm so sad about it because I thought the match on Rampage was fantastic. Um, the ex- like the exchanges thus far with Adam Cole and Orange Cassidy have told me have told me how awesome this singles match is going to be, and it's now lessened. There is an angle that's taken place that has lessened my enthusiasm for that match, which again speaks to a criticism we've had in the past about sometimes there is such a thing as too much story. There is, there's one too many angles in a few, and more than what you need, certainly, with the limited and valuable TV time you've got. All of this felt wasteful. We couldn't decide between us if Orange Cassidy was coming out for a match or not, which is a terrible look for the company that we put over so often for having a, a proper structure. Mm-hmm. Like, why was he here? Was he out because Cole was there first? And if Orange Cassidy interrupted Cole... Was called out to commentate on a Wardlow, a random Wardlow squash, because that's a bit that's a bit weird as well. So they, you've set up a situation that feels contrived, and sure enough, it plays out contrived as a result. It's it, it's not awful sports entertainment, but you want to keep your sports entertainment to an absolute minimum. Didn't go for this, and if another like um, another result of this is the Young Bucks and the Best Friends, don't care about that either. So that's a miss as well. Yeah, I was mystified watching this. The implication for me was not that Orange Cassidy was scheduled to have a match because they'll never do an unannounced match that they'll just not do. So that's just, I have so much faith in the process, I'm convinced that wasn't the Mm -hmm. case. So the only other thing that could have happened here is that Adam Cole, as was a pretty rubbish theme throughout the night, a really failed experiment of wrestler who's in storyline conflict, conflict? Conflict Mm -hmm. with wrestler who's in the ring, does commentary. Uh, I mean, like, just have a two-man booth. I'll just have Taz do it the whole way. It was just felt like a contrived way of um, progressing feuds, and I wasn't really into it at all, particularly when they did it more often than not. When you see Adam Cole come out and do commentary for, what was the next match, Wardlow? Wardlow and AC Adams. What's uh, Adam Cole got to do with that? And then when you... Two uh, really handsome bastards? Yeah. AC. We fixed it. You didn't didn't do anything. (laughs) You didn't do anything. So Adam Cole commenting on commentating on a Wardlow match when they're not in a feud makes no sense. Drill deeper, and you think, oh, isn't it a bit contrived how they're all having feuds? The fact that you know these are meant to sort of 
unfold organically. And it all feels like, well, this guy's in a feud with him. This guy's in a feud with him. I don't like any of it. I don't like the implication of what it wasn't. I don't yeah. like the execution of what it was. I don't really know what it was. This was stupid. <laughs> the, the management interruption earlier in the night of management, it's always Tony Khan, has decreed that Hangman Page and Brian Danson can't touch each other for the title match. They're feuding. Like, they should probably be allowed to have a little bit of a punch up every now and then. What you should decree is that commentators have to stop getting involved because you've had like three in a row now that have all like sort of come out there to effectively do one job and then do a completely different one as a result. As I found it to be as obvious and on the nose as the interview interruption problem. It's like you've, you've, maybe it was an attempt to fix one problem. You found a new theatre of conflict. It's just the same problem in a different bit of the building. Yeah, I didn't like it at all. Uh, we get a video promo from Tony Nice and his tiny niece. Uh, he challenges Sammy Guevara for TNT Championship on Friday and talks about how he's going to target the champ's ribs, basically. Anything you want to say about this? Uh, well, I, I would like to say that I hope that, like, I love Sammy having a body part now that he gets targeted, but it'd be pretty cool if he went for Tony Nice's ribs in winning the match and Tony has to cover those beautiful abs with tape as oh, a result, and he's no. just he's livid that he can't get his Can you, like, can you get see-through tape? <laughs> Please, someone. Um, AW's Saran Rap. It's listening <laughs> film. AW's a listening promotion. I don't just mean to this podcast. Some point he's got to have the pyro entrance. Point at the abs. Do the boom, fight. boom, we've, boom. We've wanted this boom, for years. Boom, boom. Give us it on rampage. When are we getting uh, Tony Khan's Spotify wrapped? Because that's what I want to see. <laughs> come on, come on, TK. Come Dance on. away ninety nine times. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Judas is number five because Jericho's always sticking it on yeah you listen to this <laughs> really listen to this Tony God's got the echo dot in the office oh, <laughs> um, and then we got a great squash match uh, Wardlow versus AC Adams he just battered him four power bombs one two three and then Sean Spears the little git that he is afterwards runs in and just twats <laughs> this poor fool with a chair backs him <laughs> with it whilst Wardlow just sort of stands there and rolls his eyes Man, a bit of preview for the book that I've written, Becoming All Elite, The Rise of AEW, available now for pre-order at whatculture.bigcartel.com. I think I've got a fair assessment of Sean Spears' first two years in AEW. He's awesome now, so I wish I'd put him over a bit more in retrospect <laughs> because he's so great. This is great. This is honestly one of the high points of the show. And it's a, a bit of a squash match. So the idea, Wardlow, Powerbomb, and... Just these hapless geeks into oblivion. Rules, Wardlow, rules. I like the idea of him having a limit because he's a baby face all along. So the idea is I can kill this hapless prick fair and square. Didn't need to F10 him. Didn't need to F10 him. Well, I've killed him fair and square. And then Sean Spears comes in. It's like, all right, you're getting the heat, are you? Oh, he's already dead. <laughs> I've already done an exceptional job of killing him. It wasn't like a morally just, oh, he's had enough. It was... What are you doing this for, you idiot? You hanger on. I've killed him already. Look at him. This Wardlow versus Sean Spears is gonna be great. This, this push is amazing. Yeah, it's it? class. It's it's so like that. Wardlow's been on this show in the middle of this thing that we really want to watch, CM Punk and MJF. And yet Wardlow gets to give the people what they want because fortuitously that's him battering fools. It's so brilliant. Um, in its very old fashioned simplicity. Giant guys wrecking jobbers is Awesome. We were raised on it. I raised ourselves raised on, on it. There. Like, it's it's timelessly brilliant. Like, Vincent Mann's airport Michael, test. Michael, do you want your tea? Shut up, man. Sit on. <laughs> <laughs> Vincent Mann's airport <laughs> test is flawed, but 
great. Like, really inspired. Like, because it's still, if this guy walks through an airport, just as he walks through a building in Dynamite, it's the most awesome thing in your head turns. I've been waiting for, for an organic moment to drop this anecdote. Apologies, mega fans, if I've already dropped it. I think they'll allow it. But I went to a place, you know, you take the kids out on a weekend, all the rest of it. It's a place called Adventure Valley in Durham. Know it well. It's shown uh, its age. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's very big. It's indoor and outdoor stuff for the unpredictable Northeast England weather. You can tire them out, do very little. Oh, time is it? Go to bed. Oh, it's three o'clock. Great. There's a little form bit at the start, right? And uh, I've never felt more like Vince McMahon going into this little barn, right? Because uh, he's got sheep, 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 lamb, lamb, another sheep, some like gerbils or whatever in a cage. What are you doing here? <laughs> And it's a llama. <laughs> it's got a gigantic neck. And I'm thinking, I don't care about any of the little run animals here. Look at the state of that llama. And I had this epiphany. It's like, that's the airport testing a farm. Yeah, it's like, why would I care about them? Look at the llama. This, I've had, had the Vince mentality. <laughs> Come here, fucking llama. <laughs> Come here, goddamn llama. <laughs> Yeah, give milk, kid. <laughs> Bruce, have you ever seen a llama in an airport? Have you ever seen a fucking llama in an airport, Bruce? It, uh, he's brilliant. He, he gives everybody what they want. It, we didn't really talk much about it in the MJF segment, but I, this Dynamite Diamond Ring stuff is fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. MJF has given, like, it's it's the best storyline driver in a match full of them, this Battle Royal. Mm. Um, and that's quite pleasing. That There's loads of things to latch onto. But... Wardlow could win this at a canter. And who's there to stop him is Sean Spears because he's there to make sure MJF wins it. And I love, like, I don't expect us to get the grand payoff and split right now. No. But I love that we can entertain that thought it's seriously piece for, the, of the jigsaw. for the first time. Like, how close is Wardlow going to get to that ring before we get this awesome storyline development where he either gets it or he doesn't? We alluded it. to this last year, didn't we? Yeah. Now we're in a position where we can really start turning the heat up on that. And I, I love that. The, the mention of the ring, the fact, and AW's great, right? This is why we're critical because we hold it to this high standard. One of the first things, forget the Miz stuff. Forget the, the big lines that hit huge in Punk and MJF. He said, you can't win without Wardlow or that ring on your finger. And they've become huge storyline drivers this battle royal next week in which CM Punk might try and strip MJF of these things before the big match. It's really great stuff. Do more of it for two hours. And then probably he's going to play into the finish of when he faces CM Punk. He's going to come out, rings on each hand, each on his yeah. little finger. Ref's going to confiscate both of them and then he's going to pull the third one out of his trunks. I, I, I would just say as well, I would not remotely complain. I know this is spiraling over a punk a little bit. I would not remotely complain if Sean Spears' botched interference helped CM Punk defeat Wardlow. Like Wardlow, I think that's that's like you can go a certain distance with cheap-ish finishes, and I think that's a pretty good one because Sean Spears has got to look like he's undermining Wardlow's potential. They haven't done one cheap finish with oh, Jesus Christ. They haven't done one cheap finish with CM Punk yet, and the moderation there will inform something like that brilliantly. I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound like a real backhander compliment, because I love Sean Spears, right? But he does feel the perfect person for a chair shot that bounces off the ropes and hits himself on the head. The old Kurt Angle one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bonk! Oh, boys, I knocked myself out! Uh, right, we go backstage. It's uh, Penta, El Zero, M and Pac. Uh, unfortunately, due to 
a mixture, I assume, of an injury <laughs> or travel issues. We're still not 100% certain in the What Culture office. Piss poor admin. Yeah, Ray Phoenix. <laughs> well, put your hands together, it's both. Ray Phoenix is, is not available to compete on Rampage. Uh, therefore, Pac is going to replace him in this match against FTR. Uh, so the title's no longer on the line. It's not a two or three out of three fours match or whatever. Pac has got an eye patch on because of, I assume, the mist from Malachi Black from uh, last week. Um, but he, uh, he says he's a formidable opponent. He's not an invalid. Just look look in his eye. He's good to fight. And yeah, now Pirate Pack is going to replace Ray Phoenix to face FTR. I was literally, you piece of shit. <laughs> I was literally about to commend you for not doing FTR. <laughs> and you didn't see it because you had something else in the chamber. Oh, yeah. Always got one. Always keep one in the chamber. Anyway. Disappointing, obviously, to lose Ray Phoenix in that title match. I don't know if Tony Schiavone misspoke or if AEW's mugging me off, but I'm fairly certain Schiavone, it was just, you know, following orders. Mm -hmm. I'm not blaming Tony Schiavone. Oh, no. Everyone loves Tony Schiavone. I love Tony Schiavone. Who said Mick Foley's going to put butts in seats? It wasn't Tony Schiavone, was it? It was Eric Bischoff in his ear. Exactly. Exactly. But I'm pretty sure he said, an injured Ray Phoenix is unable to travel. I call bollocks. Because, because he's working a match on Saturday, is he not? He's working a match on Saturday in Mexico or uh, California or somewhere. Well, oh, that's a deeper cut than Eddie Guerrero's at Judgment Day. <laughs> like, oh, my God. So, basically, they know, AW being they, they oh, know no. that we know that they acknowledge all of wrestling is happening because all of wrestling is canon in AEW. Don't mug me off. I know you're lying to me. They're trying to cover the backs because what I think has happened is that there was a FTR versus Lucha Bros match set for AAA, like, what, 24 hours later? And AA have probably gone, come on. Mm. And TK, who's gone off AAA, have you? With their New Japan in the, <laughs> with New Japan in the background. Is probably, Having already gone off impact. He's probably had a little bit of a... It's that meme of the mum and the kids in the pool. Yeah. Impacts it, at the bottom of the, the bottom of it. Impacts the bloke who David Brent just goes, I take a picture of him quickly. <laughs> um, I think he's had a little bit of a, not a telling off because and we know who holds the power, but they've had a little bit of a, please, Tony. That might this, might there be a net positive from all of this? Um, we've all lamented FTR's run not being maybe what we would have liked. This will, I think, significantly lower the expectations on this match. And it might rule harder as a result. It might. What happened with Bloody Andrade and the Lucha Brothers? Um, excuse, are you talking about Cody's fiercest ever rival, Andrade? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Why doesn't he not want them anymore? They, They're the champions. He should want them more. They've been feuding for several years. I mean, they must be. That would inform why it got so serious in the main event. Yeah, so. well, right uh, next up, someone's O has got to go. The Gun Club versus Darby <laughs> Allen and Sting Taz. Uh, flanked by Powerhouse Hobbs and Hook was on commentary for this match. There's even a Hook t-shirt now I've seen AEW selling brilliant stuff. Um, starts off Darby Allen and Colton Gunn. They they wrestle, but no one cares because it's time for Sting and Billy Gunn to face off. Yes! <laughs> uh, Sting hits back fists and atomic drop, but Billy uh, dodges the Stinger splash. Uh, in comes uh, Darby Allen, goes to that coffin splash, but Billy catches him and plants him with the Uranagi. Uh, and the gun club basically isolate Darby Allen in their corner to take us to a break. When we come back, uh, Colton's got a scorpion deathlock on Darby Allen, uh, but he escapes, gets the Sting hot tag. 
place explodes. They're banging on, obviously, about Sting being back in Atlanta. Uh, he's, Stinger splashes both opponents, spine buster on Colton Gunn. Uh, he puts the Scorpion Deathlock on, but uh, the official gets distracted, and in comes Austin Gunn, not involved in the match, of course, to just... I say break up the hole, just twat sting in the side of the head, basically. But then Darby Allen just, it's, there was a couple of these, lawn darts himself with these mad, literally ironically titled suicide dives. Uh, one into uh, Austin. He's the only one who gets it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one into Austin Gunn. Um, in the midst of all this, uh, Billy Gunn's hit a famouser on Sting, but Sting kicks out at two. Darby Allen hits Billy with another one of those mad dives, comes back in, float over stunner on Colton Gunn, and Sting gets he staggers back straight into the Scorpion death drop. One, two, three. This is fun, but it's there was this is the fourth match on a six-match Dynamite card up to that point, and it was the third of those four matches to feature an absolutely like dramatic, like devoid of drama, discrepancy in star power between the guys on the other end of the ring. Like Sting and Darby Allen are the stars, Billy Gunn and these kids with their bizarrely brilliant entrance theme are very much there to take the pin. No drama to this. It was fun enough, and I understand why they booked it. Um, Sting in Atlanta, that was cool. It was mm-hmm. one of the few times this crowd really got up for it. But again, I do not want to blame the crowd for not being really up for it all night because... When they saw that card, they were probably thinking, oh, well, this is... I wish I'd gone to, you know, Miami or something instead. Or especially because, uh, you know, people have different opinions on it. But to find out halfway through the show, yeah, you're not getting that two out of three falls match for the tag titles. Must have been deflating as well. Yeah, but Sting did well to get that back on track. Yeah, very shortly yeah, yeah afterwards. exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, this was proof, and there's no need for any, but you can't just say... a match is a battle of the titans and make it so because billy gunn and sting isn't like you can't like sting got people invested but it didn't matter who he was up against i don't i don't i like billy gunn he's got a cool body and that's the kind of wrestler i like (laughs) but like it's sting and billy gunn isn't this thing isn't this dream match that people have been keeping the fingers crossed for years maybe these two old gunslingers can come together one less time (laughs) billy gunn was a literal gunslinger once upon a time but (laughs) yes nobody has ever said that about like when two legends happen to share space on the roster it's like maybe they'll cross paths and aw kind of tried to tell us all that as if like the fans should be make they weren't they were just glad to see sting do sting stuff um I, i i feel like i'm saying it a lot on this podcast what are we really doing here with sting and darby allen versus the gun club on a dynamite. What like we've had three weeks of build or whatever it is. We've had matches to build other matches for a big sting pop. I feel like there'd be more entertaining ways to arrive at that pop. I also feel like there would have been more successful and succinct ways to get Darby Allen back on track. So my, for all the nice time this was my bigger question would be what did this really serve in the grand scheme of things? Other than one of the few Mm. in match pops we actually got. I did like uh, the, uh, I like turtles uh, face makeup. They were both wearing though. That was a nice touch. Yes, yeah. Who's that? With the, like, the black neck. Black neck mm-hmm. and, yeah, what have you. Uh, right, Chris Jericho is not in Newcastle. He's backstage uh, getting interviewed. Um, He's not in Newcastle. He's in Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Jericho. Um <laughs> He, uh, he says he wants to set something straight. He didn't come to Eddie Kingston's aid. That's Chris week. Jericho beasting in an oven at 400 degrees <laughs> Fahrenheit. <laughs> Mr. Jericho, your career has the momentum of a runaway freight train. <laughs> <laughs> what makes you so popular? 
Anyway, he didn't come to Eddie Kingston's aid last week. He was there to take out Dupont. Oh! Also, by the way, complete off, complete tangent. Uh, I forgot to message you boys last night because uh, JLS has got a new thing. The, the, this uh, popular British boy band for our American listeners. Guess what they're calling it? Dupont. Oh! Oh! Ah! They're listening. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> well, Jer- they're listening. <laughs> We're not watching NXT, so... <laughs> That's they must have got it from us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, so he's not there. he wasn't there last week to help Eddie Kingston. He just wanted to kick 2.0's head in, basically. But then uh, Daniel Garcia and... The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Mm-hmm. Matt and Jeff... Where the hell have I seen that before? <laughs> Matt and Jeff and uh, Daniel Garcia come in and attack Jericho in the midst of all this. They haul him into a steel door and twine with a chair, and they say, Watch your mouth! And uh, after the break, we're informed that Jericho's receiving medical attention. <laughs> well, we've got the NHS over here, so it should be all right. Shouldn't <laughs> <it>? <laughs> I mean, I'm not top of that. Uh, how much this matters is up for debate. This is a great dynamite. I'd probably like laugh at the idea of her. I'm on social media. <laughs> <laughs> he literally posted a photo outside of the Weatherspoons we used to go to after work. Yeah, absolutely. 15 minutes uh, away from where we're sat right now. Yeah. That's where Chris Jericho was yesterday. And if this is a great dynamite, I go, ha, yeah, don't care about this. Decent way to progress and get some heat on 2.0, whatever. Like, in a dynamite that puts me in a bad mood, I'm thinking, don't mug me off. Yeah. This is the company that treats my intelligence with respect. When you break that sacred bond, I will start to bury you with no caveats. Strange, bro. I'll be Michael Sidgwick unleashed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you know, Billy Gunn's uh, don't care if he's 58, I think he should be in the title picture. But, um, yeah, what did you think of all this? Hamlet? Jericho's got such an odd brain. Like, should we uh, write you out on the show you're actually on? Better idea, write me out on the one I'm not on. What? Like, uh, he, <laughs> the last show he works is that rampage taping before disappearing off on this tour, and he's the hero and savior. <laughs> And then they're oh, like, yeah, I didn't even think of it. Tape like a beatdown, guys. Then you get both. And it's like, well, we don't need both, Chris. You need both. I need then to I can like, come back and help Eddie Kingston, you know, because he needs to level up, doesn't he? To the main event picture. Absolutely no problem with uh the um 2.0 getting some heat. Yes. Right? Exactly. Off, off the back of all of this, because it's to build to yet another Darby Allen sting versus gun club type stars versus nobody's tag match. It's feeling repetitive, but that's where we're headed. Um why not? He's literally not there. Why not give the microphone to Eddie Kingston to say, why, why should it be Jericho's role to say, uh, by the way, I wasn't there to help uh, Eddie Kingston. I'm cooler than everybody. What, can it not be Eddie Kingston's role to say, I didn't want your help? Yeah. Like, who's the cool guy here? It's not fucking Chris Jericho. It hasn't been forever. But yet he thinks he is. I've got a scoop here. Um, he's going to have Marty McFly on the next episode of Talk as Jericho. And he's going <laughs> to say, uh, you know, you and me were the last two uh, guys to have... <laughs> Travel through time. <laughs> Chris, we gotta go back. It's about your kid. Huh, great point. But uh, before that, I want to talk about that last thing. <laughs> oh, God. Right. Um, what came next? Oh, uh, Taz uh, was, I don't know, doing some sort of Steiner maths to quote. Qu- Chris, it's about your wife. She's in a Trump demo. <laughs> <coughs> oh, dear. They're storming the capital. <laughs> oh, yeah, whatever. I'm not joking. Uh, so Taz is talking about Team Taz having this, I don't know, 100%, 125% chance of winning the bloody Battle Royal because there's three members of Team Taz in it. Uh, and then Leo Rush comes out to, unfortunately, kind of no reaction. Um, 
And uh, he, uh, you know, obviously Team Taz has taken Dante Martin from him last week. And he says to Taz, look, you're a commentator. It's your job to know about me. And you should know that the odds have been stacked against me my entire career. Um, he says he's got a good chance of winning the Dynamite Dozen Battle Royal. Uh, he's a fighter. These people know I'm a fighter. Uh, and he won't go down without a fight, even if he only has a 1% chance. And Taz just tells him to retire because he's done. And then out comes his former protege, Dante Martin, with Ricky Starks just smirking that really smug, punchable face. Uh, and uh, Dante Martin goes back and, you know, high fives with all the members of Team Taz whilst they sort of taunt Leo Rush. Didn't get the reaction they were hoping for this. This is absolutely rubbish, that's why. It was an yet another... Like, 2019 NXT, everything happens on the entrance ramp for some reason. <laughs> so I hated the format and hated how repetitive it was. I think the live crowd tired of it all as well because yeah. clearly they were just confused Um he yeah, brought it up until he said, these people know I'm a fighter. It's like, come on, guys. Leo Rush did a good job yeah. there. But um, weird lack of chemistry between Leo Rush and Taz. This was a bit of disappointment for me because last week's was just played out so perfectly to just create these multi-stranded layers of intrigue. And then you got this Bobbins follow-up. Um, we'll still do some awesome stuff in the Battle Royale. This was generic... How do we explain James Ross's absence stuff? It's like, well, just get another commentator or do a two-man booth. Just, just, just have it be Team Taz. Uh, not Team Taz. Just have it be Taz, like you say. He's great. Just really underwhelming, yeah. Like, the amount of things that you could think were going to happen, none of them did, and what you got was much worse. And I, the Battle Royal build worries me slightly because off this, was the read supposed to be that Dante Martin and Leo Rush are setting Team Taz up and they're fooling them and mm. he's got like Dante Martin on the inside sort of like next week the Battle Royal in order for this I hate this in wrestling sometimes in order for this plan to work this plan like one of them is going to have to eliminate the other from the Battle Royal I sense it's probably going to be Dante Martin throwing out Leo Rush is going to throw out a member of Team Taz and he's like, I'm, I've got this and then Dante Martin is going to lift the legs he's not hit him so it's they're not it's not proper violence. It's not an aces and eights thing. Yeah, I'd take a few blows. <laughs> Got to get the plan over. Um, I screwed you. <laughs> <laughs> Pointing at Taz. I can't, do the, I can't do the bully rain brush. And that's, that's my... Pointing at Taz and Hook. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, like, he's going to have to, like, throw him out the Battle Royal. But then, like, if they unveil it as a master plan, how we kind of, like, got in Team Taz from the inside, all this sort of stuff, it's like, oh, and you... Like, cost yourselves a dynamite diamond ring. You had to eat quite a few losses in order to really fool them. You teeing up my Bully Ray impression. I, I always want to hear it. Your grandma sucked my cock, you <laughs> mock! <laughs> <laughs> so funny as well, because we're above them in the podcast. <laughs> Oh, no, damn, like that podcast podcast suck my cock, you <laughs> I can get, I get all my wrestling analysis and Bully Ray on another podcast. So what's the point? <laughs> uh, right, Jade Cargill, Mark Sterling. What's there. the uh, busted open logo look like? Because I just didn't see it on any of those Spotify rap things. <laughs> Jade Cargill, Mark Sterling are backstage uh, and they announced that Jade Cargill is going to uh, murder one of Thunder Rosa's students on Rampage this week. Again! As we called uh, just the other day, uh, and Thunder Rosa Let's interrupts. Get forty seconds for the women this week. Thunder Rosa interrupts, <laughs> saying, "Oh, don't worry. If you next, Tony Khan to go down his list. Done next. <laughs> if you're if you're worried about if you wonder about the commentary booth, Thunder Rosa is going to be on commentary for that one. Uh, uh, <laughs> question no one asked. 
Also, I like that she's just have a two-man boom. She seemed to specify. I'll be on commentary, not for the whole thing, just for that match. It was so weird. All this. Gotta have like a woman in three seconds. They gotta have pre-recorded commentary from Chris Jericho on things that may or may not be happening in front of him. Like, hey, Ray Phoenix, just really doing some cool stuff, guys. <laughs> just it's, it's SmackDown versus Raw sound bites. <laughs> hey, uh, Chris Jericho, did you like that move? Hi. Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you want to say about this pamphlet? Uh, no, Cedric nailed it. Yeah. Like, absolutely, it's they are trying to hide their low energy effort into all of this, and if if we can spot it on a preview, as Cedric identified to the letter, they're doing a rubbish job of hiding it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right, it was time for the final quarterfinal in the TBS Championship Women's Tournament: Chris Statlander versus Ruby Soho. Uh, the story of this match early on is they've scouted each other, they know well about each other, uh, and uh, neither can really get an advantage early on. Um, Statlander knocks Ruby Soho down, teases a, a huge boot to the face, but stops and, and boops Ruby Soho on the nose to just rile her up a little bit. Um, and Soho comes back with a flatliner to get a two count before we go to an ad break. When we come back, uh, Statlander's in control, she gets a headlock, uh, counters a, a sort of sit-out bulldog and hits a blue thunder bomb. Uh, but Soho dodges one of the charges in the corner. Uh, Poison Rana gets a two count and does the most shocked face thing I think I've ever seen on AEW. It was uh, preposterous. Um, Soho goes for no future. Statlander blocks it. And then Soho reversed the Big Bang Theory uh, into a uh, cradle for the one, two, three. Post-match as uh, no Statlander is going up the ramp. Um out comes Vicky Guerrero to yell in her face, send everyone's eyes that way. So Soho, who's celebrating the ring, stood on the turnbuckle, can get pulled down by Nyla Rose, who attacks her. She's going to be the semi-final opponent, of course, but Statlander runs down, makes the save, and they sort of shake hands before we continue. Bit of a disappointment, this, I thought, Hamlet. And this was the thing I alluded to that I was underwhelmed with after we've criticised everything else on this Dynamite. Yeah. This match was, um, especially towards the end, like the victory, Joseph of wrestling matches, it was screaming at me that it was good without actually being good. You had the Ruby Soho oversell. You had this abundance of moves that were supposed to be received as high-impact kill shots. None of them which registered as such with this crowd that really struggled to get into it. And in truth, they struggled to get into it because the work didn't get them there in the early stages. They... Um, I, they didn't do it. They didn't live up to expectations. I, like... Ruby Soho's in-ring, for the most part, is made more of big moments than great matches. And I, I don't know, like, that will work for some people, but it will become increasingly exposed if the good whole matches don't keep coming. I have no doubt, I'm going to invoke a name, because she gets a mention every week, even if she doesn't get one on Dynamite, Ruby Soho versus Serena Deeb yeah. would rule. Like, Ruby, it, she's, Ruby Soho is far and away better than a lot of the greener wrestlers on this roster. Here's me never taking a goddamn bump in my life. What do I know? But, like... I'm not seeing it from a in terms of being able to structure a match. And the thing is, I've seen it out at Statlander, so that's a dis, that's kind of like a disappointment on two levels there. AEW believed that this was going to be great. This got the time. This got the energy that so many other women's matches hasn't had, and it didn't live up to the billing. And that's less than ideal for the division too. A, 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 like I don't want to say a bit of disappointment, but I was really let down by this. It wasn't as good as I thought it would be, but it was still really good, I thought, by the finish. I liked the story where Chris Statlander was such a freakish athlete, which she displayed by executing these pretty cool power moves, mm. that 
Ruby Soho was in disbelief at how powerful she was, and she had to get it, pull it out with the ninth, or whatever your American analogies are. With the, I don't know what it means. <laughs> with the roll-ups, the spot where she did a pull it out of the ninth. Really, I like that. Is that what it is? It's the bottom of the ninth. Something like that. Pull it. I just like pull it out with the ninth. Screws. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the case Nora spot into the um, power bomb mm. was absolutely incredible. Uh, the finish was really good as well. I don't want to... If you do something that makes you look stupid, you leave yourself open for ridicule. And I'm quite good at that. So I'm going to do it twice with Ruby Silver. <laughs> it's a good job that there's no wellness policy in AEW because she would be popped for MDMA. <laughs> and literally, if I was the first human being in, a, in recorded history, the first one to ever encounter an alien life form... I would react like uh, Ruby Soho reacted to the Rana kick out. Yeah, to the Rana <laughs> kick out, and like she checks out because Statland is an alien. So, as I've always said, <laughs> yes, it does. Maybe that's where I got it from. <laughs> My first instinct, but I'm the first person alive to see an alien. It's like poison Rana. That poison Rana. That freak right now. With bees, I come and kicking your ass. <laughs> the finish is I kick your ass. <laughs> What I'm saying is, is she overdid it. Yeah, absolutely. she overdid it. I mean, for Christ's sake, I've always said, and I stand by it. Everything in wrestling, to a point, can be good and it can be bad. Mm-hmm. Shocked kickout faces are one of those things. Still, somehow, um, I loved Adam Cole's against Jungle Boy, for example. Just, uh, come on, read the room. A good worker can read the room. A good worker can get the room on side. If this was the big planned thing when they, as Hamflet points out, they thought they had a better match than this, I thought it was really good, to be fair. But it was kind of annoying that they thought it was better than yes, I did. Exactly. So she probably should have realized hang on, dial this one back because this crowd aren't thinking this awesomely executed Poison Rana didn't get the job done. Just don't invite parody. It's, like, mm. it's not hard. Do, if, you've, if you're if you working like a four and a half star, best non-lights-out women's match of the air tier, go for it. Mm. They didn't, so she shouldn't have done it. Right. Well, looks like we've had enough time. It's time for the main event. <laughs> Seems to get longer, that. It just feels that way. <laughs> Again. <laughs> right, it's time for the Atlanta Street Fight. Uh, Andrade El Idolo versus Cody Rhodes. Uh, Andrade attacks during Cody's entrance, and Arn and uh, Jose, the translator, have a fight on the stage. They brawl into the crowd. Uh, Cody hits a twisting crossbody off a barricade. A bin gets lobbed about. Cody's back looks weird. That will factor in a little bit later on. Too weird. They <laughs> fight. Distracting weird. I think it was like some goo or something in the bin. It must have been. Uh, anyway, they, they fight back towards the ring, and Cody gets sent into the steel steps. Then when they get back into the ring, Cody snap power slams Andrade. A mixed reaction, I should point out as well, uh, to Cody. Um... Andrade uh, low blows him, uh, whips him with his own weight belt, hoys it into the crowd, and I I wasn't concentrating on the match at that point. I was like, what's happening to that weight belt then? That's, ooh, and it was like a weird thing where I sort of understood it as well, because it's like, if you're a fan, and Cody's weight belt lands in your lap, as much as it's a popper to be like, hey, chuck it back, 
It's Cody Rhodes' weight belt. I not, mean, not in a million years am I throwing that back. Yeah, <laughs> not in a million years. How do you reckon you get on eBay for that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so then uh, Andrade comes in with Jose's laptop slash tablet slash I don't know what it is. Twats Cody in the head with it. Does that with the same with a chair. Uh, he pulls out a chain. Cody dodges a, a shot in the corner, uh, and that allows uh, Andrade still to fight back and hit the split-legged moonsault onto Ch- Cody, uh, I think through a chair, actually, even. Mad spot. Andrade does some mad mad spots, as always. He hates his own body, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, so Cody fights out of a suplex and kicks Andrade right in the... Um, right in the... Cack! Yeah, it's not, it's not quite that. It's uh, yam bag. There we go, <laughs> right in the yam bags. Uh, goes to the Cody cutter. Uh, Andrade counters it by pushing Cody to the floor. We go to break. When we come back, uh, Andrade goes, goes for another moonsault, but Cody just hoists the chair right into his face. Cody gets the chain, punches Andrade with it, goes for a tope suicida through the ropes, but Andrade responds by chucking a chair in his face. Uh, and then Andrade rips up the panning at ringside to mirror what he did after Dynamite off the air. Uh, DD. Uh, Cody into the exposed floor, but Cody at this point reveals he's been busted open, powers out of it, back body drop, goes under the ring, pulls out a kendo stick, eh, doesn't want that, pulls out a sledgehammer, doesn't want that, and then pulls out a golden shovel. Uh, then Jose runs down with a taser and gets twatted and twatted by the shovel, uh, but that has allowed Andrade to recover. He splashes Cody over the corner to the floor. Uh, he hits his double knees once they're back in the ring through a chair. He then pulls out a table, sets it up in the ring. Cody hits the drop-down right hand, charges at Andrade, but gets hip-tossed through the table. Andrade goes and gets another one, perches Cody on top of it, goes up top, but Cody rolls off. And he's battling on the top rope with Andrade. He crotches him. And then someone slides into the ring wearing a hoodie and a, and a mask. And they take it down to reveal it's Brandy Rhodes. And she douses two bottles full of bloody lighter fluid onto the table. Sets the thing on fire. And Cody hits... Well, I was going to say hits the reverse DDT through the flaming table. Cody puts himself through a flaming table. Andrade gets DDT'd in the process, basically. Um, and Cody... Pins Andrade while still on fire to emerge victorious. This was bonkers, Sitch. I mean, I was incredibly entertained by something. I didn't think that was that good. <laughs> <laughs> like my God. <laughs> I could not have picked a like, just power bomb or something. Like uh, you can do it like a jumping power bomb. I don't want to touch the fire. <laughs> That's gonna hurt me a lot. Cody pinned someone when he was on fire himself. <laughs> To bring to an end what was quite possibly the most Cody match to ever Cody. This was Cody's <laughs> yes. Triple H at Survivor Series 2017 moment. Yes. Like, yes. this was so Cody. And the idea is people are beginning to resent Cody for being very Cody. So he decides, without actually turning heel, I don't think, to be the most Cody version of Cody. I'm lost. I'm officially lost with all of this. It's incredibly compelling when it isn't kind of a mid-plunder brawl mm. at points, but sometimes it was great because the double knees to the corner on a chair was tits. Mm. One's ripped. Where did that come from? That, that's awesome. <laughs> like, I, I, was, I thought you'd missed out on the wardrobe running, but it was just him with his top off. <laughs> so they're coming out like, oh, I love that I said, guys, uh, should I take my top off? No, you absolutely fucking shouldn't. Have you seen your one? I'll take my top off. I'll take it off just in case. Like, push him. I was incredibly distracted by what was on Cody's back, and I wasn't on Twitter live during the experience, so people 
forgot that it was the flame gel. Taz, that on his back. <laughs> what's, that, what's that stuff on his back? It's just a, like a bottle of glue in the bin. I thought he'd been like Todd and Feather or something. Like ah. I was like, what? And, uh, all right, that's what it was. Apparently, um, Andrade had it as well underneath the shirt, but like he's a bit of a sweaty boy. Yeah, I just <laughs> thought he sweat. I thought it was sweat, so that was fine. Um, I've got so few thoughts and all of the thoughts on this all at once. <laughs> Cody Rhodes pinned a guy whilst he was on fire. <laughs> I, I loved, for reasons, the sledgehammer, nah, golden shovel, because not only is it a symbol of things that get buried, but a lot of highfalutin, fancy-talking politician and high-corporate types use it for these opening ceremonies and stuff, mm. and people resent Cody for being too much of that guy doing Go Big Show and all the rest of it with his reality show on top of that, and not the pro wrestler guy. This is the best heel turn that isn't a heel turn that I don't think is going to end up as a heel turn. Was this a heel turn? I don't know. Or was Brandy Rhodes interfering on his behalf, A, something he planned for when he wore the gel? Was it B, a heel turn? Or was it B, just counteracting the stuff from earlier? What is this? I mean, I wanted two members of the Nightmare family for this excursion. Brandy Rhodes... And T-Pain. <laughs> because T-Pain was there. <laughs> getting in amongst it. Chaos. Absolute chaos. Um, empty calories a lot of the time as well. I, I didn't like the majority of this, if I'm honest. Cody's back was weird. and So weird. You never... The thing is, right, you watch it, and then after the fact, it's like, all oh, right, okay, it's for the flaming table. But you never would have predicted a flaming table. So at no point are you sort of readying yourself going, oh, yeah, that's because of the flame table spot later on. Because <laughs> they've been feeding for a week. Like, this is what yeah, it is. Like, I, uh, I know I'm a softer touch than a lot of people with this. AEW are getting way too abusive with big stuff. The concerto stuff was a reach a few weeks ago, which, what, like, Matt Jackson was back out on the same night. Got to do my nod. Hangman Page. Like, you should be in the hospital. Like, guys getting set on fire, and they've been feuding for a week. Like, Andrade dropped him on his head. Well, there's only one thing for it. I'm going to have to have the, the most hardcore match in AEW history. That's, a, that's how we said This was, a, like, a more... This was a more ridiculous and out-there brawl than the last uh, Malachi Black-Cody Rhodes match. And they've been feuding fight. It's weird. And I don't think it's good weird. Murray... He said a, he did send, send the air toxic because it was on fire, so... Well, this is it. He said uh, the toxic guest. That was what Brandy had in the bottle to, sp like, spew on at the table. Uh, Andy Murray had the best take on this for me today, and it finally like crystallised what I've been thinking about Cody all this time. Cody is getting what Cody wants, which is lots of people talking about Cody. We're doing it on a podcast. Yeah, yeah. I imagine the fan base at large will be speaking about Cody. And all that, we get in Twitter questions is about Cody, yeah. That's the compelling nature of this character. But my question has been for the longest time, is it any good? And conversation about Cody is not what I want from this excellent wrestling company. It's really good tightly written stories that lead to really satisfying conclusions. This is the opposite of that. It's the opposite of tight writing. I don't know, even know what the satisfying conclusion is, if there even is one, other than, oh, Cody got people talking this week. I saw Brandy doing some acting with her face here, so something matters about this flaming table. I'm willing to say that. Why did we go so far? Well, there's going to be something to that, probably. Um, like, I want Thingy to take his top off. Jose's top can come off mm. more and more, please. And Anderson fell over again. Like, yeah, he did, didn't knowing he Cody's chaotic energy at the moment, they'll turn that into a bit. Like Arn Anderson falling over will become a spot now. Like Cody, they're going to do a thing where like 
you all right, Con? Uh, are you all right, on? There's a bit slippy ledge here, you know, something like, winter is coming, like, wear your snow boots, <laughs> something like that. Glacial, like, glacial was backstage on this show. Glacial was backstage. <laughs> like, it's fucking weird, this, like, all really weird. I'm not sure it's, like, this is the sort of, I don't, this is going to sound really pearl-clutching. Like, I, Cody's mad at the moment. I don't think it's good for AEW that Cody's this mad. And I think this match... Admittedly, one of the only things that got some noise out of this crowd. I think this match was evidence of that. How much did they throw at this mm. to try and get across something? Twelve hours later, none of us can still discern. There's that's, people on that's Twitter going, ah, "You don't get a deal." It's like, no, you don't either. Yeah. <laughs> the closest I, I think I can come to getting it is, it's all very cute and meta, and maybe they will just see where it all goes. If there's a satisfying conclusion to this, it will be the greatest, most manipulative professional wrestling storyline story of all time. Uh, is there? I've got no idea. It's cute meta stuff for a purpose that either no one can predict or no one cares to predict. The simplest, succinct way I can think of putting my thoughts across on all of this is, is it as good as the things Cody's been doing before? No. Could Cody be doing something better? Yes. End of. One last thing on, like, maybe some of the comparisons that we're seeing with Cody and John Cena, because this, I mentioned to you this morning, this reminded me a lot of everything about Brock and John Cena at Extreme Rules until the end. And Cena wins, you're like, what are we doing here? What's this all been about if you're just going to have Cena wins at the end anyway? And that sort of feeling, I'm not talking about Cody winning and losing matches, I'm talking about him doing this thing kind of regardless. Mm. It's feeling a lot like John Cena. But everybody with a brain in the head at the time, I'm not talking about JBL on commentary or Jerry Lawler just phoning it in, saying, say what you like. Guy gets a reaction. Like, those of us with a brain in head were saying, aye, but this isn't a good thing. Yeah. You have orchestrated noise, but the bigger picture is really dangerous for your future. And look how that's played out. Look at the aftermath mm-hmm. of the John Cena story in terms of WWE struggling to find a headliner. So if he's shooting for that, why? Why? Mm-hmm. That's not a thing to shoot for. This is a good guys and bad guys company. There's two, I know he comes out the middle, there's two tunnels because this is a good guy and bad guy Also, company. like the fact that Brian Danielson did all that stuff and you're still walking out of the face tunnel, by the still, way. Still believes himself to be a baby face. Great. Like, use that if you want. Use rankings if you want. Not in Cody world. Cody world is the AW equivalent of Wilborn's world. Like, you get... <laughs> you get whatever you want. Did you see someone did the, the snake popping up going, hello, someone tweeted that. No. Like, yeah. I'll find it. I'll, I'm going to give him a shout out whilst you wrap things up here. It just, it's like, what was once charming, I guess, in the empty arena era, I fancy Penta. Break your arms, do you? I don't think so. I'm Cody Rhodes. Like, what was once, <laughs> oh, yeah. what he once got away with murder for, because the Shaq match was, like, his chaos energy perfected, is now becoming a real pain in the arse to watch and, and analyse as well. Tomo on Twitter. I've liked it, so if you want to go and find that, it's, right. it's a great, some great work. Uh, so thank you for that. But yeah, a uh, bonkers end to AW Dynamite. Please do let us know your thoughts on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. You watch, they can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Don't forget, you can order his brilliant new book all about the rise of AW. Becoming All Elite is available to pre-order right now. Whatculture.bigcartel.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE, as I said. And make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, including, of course, the AEW Rampage preview tomorrow. But for now, this has been the AEW Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.